Hello, you're learn listening to Journey into an Unknown World and uh, I'm Professor Margaret Rogers Van Koops. I like to be called Dr. Margaret. I always think Professor sounds a bit too stuck up. <laughs> anyway, here I am once again on my show and I'm glad you've joined me. Um, today I thought I'd talk about our perceptions that come from our consciousness. So I'm starting here with a little bit of visualization. So if you'll come along with me on my little journey, I hope that you'll see that our imagination plays a great big part in the way we consciously believe we see ourselves in this world. So let's start with fear. Imagine you're walking down a very dark road. You can shut your eyes if you like. And you know there's a few street lights further down the road, but this particular part is dark. And as you walk down this road, there's a part of you sensing anyone behind you. You may feel your back tingling a little, a sense of nearness of some presence. And you may feel scared and hurry on a little faster, hoping to make the light where you'll be able to look around and see if there is in fact someone following you. And of course, when you get to the light, you look around, there's no one there. How much of your imagination has set your body to feeling? Let's stop here a little bit while I explain it. Our bodies are sensory. And the back part of our body is where we use our psychic sensory perception to feel something is close. Why? To protect ourselves, to survive. After all, we don't want to be harmed. But why should we think in the first place that just because a road is dark that there is danger there? Well, the truth is we've learned it by watching other people's movies, say a movie that's a suspense thriller, or maybe you've heard a tale where someone was actually walking down the street and someone robbed them of their purse or their wallet. Or perhaps you've seen violence on the TV, in the news, and you're thinking, that could happen to me. You see, we're very impressed by what we see as well. So let's now try a little other experiment and see what happens when you use your eyes instead of just the back of your body. I'd like you to find a spot somewhere in the room, something you can focus on. And when you focus on it, I want you to see if you can still your mind, not think about anything. While I'm talking, you can listen to me, and that is a distraction too. However, I'm asking you to let my mind be in the background as I talk about the kinds of things you could see. In your mind's eye, you could say that you have a vision of yourself at work, and everybody is busy, and you need help. But no one has free time now, because the pressure of everyone getting their work done on time is immense. Who do you go to? Who do you ask for help? Are you praying? Are you wondering if God is listening and going to send you some help? Are you rationalizing that what you see in your head is a load more work to do and you just don't know how you're going to get through it? And in your imagination, there's piles of files, loads of things on the computer to do. Are you stressed? Are you feeling stressed right now? Visualizing what tomorrow could be like at work? Or perhaps you're a mum and you have to get up really early and make sure that everyone is fed, clothed, pushed off to school, work, and uh, you are left alone finally aha moment, only to start running all sorts of visionary ideas. 
like seeing the laundry in a pile or looking around at the dishes and telling yourself you hate washing dishes shoving them all in the dishwasher if you're lucky to have one you see every little thing we do is a memory of times before we're comparing what we've seen and when we compare what we've seen we come up with a conclusion which may or may not be right for example many years ago I was visualizing that someone was going to knock on my door yet I wanted to go out I had some important things to do so I waited frustrated looking out the window seeing if their car was coming sitting down maybe making a cup of tea doing all sorts of things only to find they didn't turn up I've wasted an hour waiting my mind has been rushing around thinking what's happened to them maybe they had an accident or perhaps they got stuck in a traffic jam or maybe they got lost then I start to worry maybe I didn't give them enough information I'm visualizing the train the station the cars whatever it is that I'm thinking I'm seeing it in my mind so my conclusion at the end of that process was to say oh well give up it's beyond my control I hope she'll call me and let me know later so off I go out do what I have to do get home to find her waiting on my doorstep where were you waiting for you you didn't come oh but we were supposed to meet at 2 not 12 ah now I look foolish I've made a visual mistake I didn't check things now I don't feel so good I'm embarrassed I wish that I had foreseen that I should have checked and double checked my diary <laughs> that's just one predicament that I had many years ago of course you know we all have our own mindsets and we all want to make up our belief systems with visions and with feelings to come to a conclusion that feels comfortable for us of course when the idea is comfortable then we expect everything else to fall into place but you see we're not in somebody else's body seeing their visions feeling their feelings in their body wondering what they should be doing all the time unless of course we're psychic I of course have been psychic my whole life so in that particular instant where I'm talking about I had this overwhelming feeling there was some kind of danger I didn't have a cell phone in those days I couldn't call her if she was on the train or in a car so I had to wait patiently and wait I did and she didn't turn up and so I went out and she turned up later well there's something to say for cell phones today <coughs> excuse me but you see all these communications so easily to do now doesn't help us very much because they're very short messages I'm late I'm on my way you know or maybe traffic jam held up frustrated okay yes at least I had input then and then I would know where she was and what she was doing but I wouldn't know what state of mind she was in I wouldn't know whether she was enjoying herself in the car or singing away to herself listening to her favorite music not frustrated at all but if she said the word frustrated then my mind would go into comparisons wondering how she felt and was it the same as the way I felt so that by the time she arrives I can identify with her state of awareness and try and be a comfort but what if I'm frustrated still supposing I'd gone out and nothing had gone well and I've come home with wasted time yet again elsewhere now I might be angry and if I was angry it might be hard to be empathetic and sympathetic to my late arrival 
who in her opinion is on time. Well, we could get into an argument about it, couldn't we? We could be throwing off absolute you know, dialogues of discomfort and distress, or we could take a deep breath and then say, oh dear, well, we made mistakes, but here I am, here you are, let's go inside, have a cup of tea, and do what I thought we were going to do two or three hours ago. Well, you know, even <coughs> sorry, even when we have someone who is close to us, there are these kinds of times when we're more familiar with people that we decide that we expect them to understand our various states of emotion. And all the while that we're getting fearful, angry, frustrated, our aura is starting to change colors. It's starting to have more red in it. Red is the color of anger. It's starting to have a darker blue in it because this is the color of thoughts. And it's starting to have more darker green in it because this is the color of nervous system. Well, I could go on with all the colors, but I want you to understand that when we're negative, when we're worried, fearful, painful, we want a lot of sympathy. And so we become a bit wimpy, as it were, and our aura lacks strength. So anyone in the room with us who is stronger than us is immediately an emotional threat. You might say, well, why would that be? Well, the bottom line is no one likes to be told what to do. So in a state of distress, one just wants a hug. But unfortunately, most people who are stronger take a look and see our state of distress and immediately want to give counsel, advice, take over control of our things and the people that we love and tell us we need a rest, go get to bed. How can we go to bed and rest with all these worries on our mind? Have to do the washing, have to prepare meals for the next two days and put them in the freezer because we're going to be out, have to clean the house or have to get online and work in the home because we have something keeping us at home and we can't go out and do the things we'd like to do. Of course, there can be a lot of frustration in being out and about. For example, recently I went to buy some screws and when I got home, the frustration wasn't the screws, it was the fact I'd chosen the wrong screws. So I had to jump in my car again go back to the store. They were very, very nice. They changed over the screws and I was happily sent on my way. And of course I fixed the thing that I wanted to fix. But it took twice as long as I expected. All because I didn't know what I needed to buy. Well, I'm sure you're listening to me and thinking, oh, that's happened to me too. Because yes, everyone goes shopping and everyone finds that sometimes, somewhere or other, the thing we've bought doesn't work or doesn't suit us or is too big or too small or even is a present from someone for Christmas presents, shall we say, and it's not the kind of thing we wear. But there's a price tag in there and we can take it back. But when we go back, we find out that it was a sale item and that we don't get as much money as we thought we would get, so we can't buy something as nice as we wanted to. Frustration again. Maybe a little bit of being ungrateful. Maybe a little bit of judgment in there about your friend should know better, or your family member should have asked you first, and so on. You see, the mind is consciously rationalizing, justifying, explaining to self, why it's okay to have the negative emotions so that we can get the empathy and sympathy and love from someone somewhere in time. Now I say in time because some of us seem to go from one person to another searching for friendship, love, comfort, support, and 
yes, even take over for us and carry our burdens for us. Well, you know, along comes Mr. or Miss Wright, and we immediately see they have something to offer us, something that attracts us, something that seems to say you fit in all the right places. What I've noticed over the years when I'm counseling couples is that this idea that this someone can fill up all the empty spaces and places inside a person is actually a fantasy because none of us can think consciously or deep subconsciously, spiritually, be aware of every single need that a person is laying out before us and just wave that magic wand and say, hey presto, you're better. So in relationships we find a lot of misunderstandings about one another and when time passes and we've watched many misunderstandings rear their heads, maybe cause an argument, cool off a bit, say it doesn't matter and move on. But the truth is it does matter and the truth is we don't move on. What we do is count. And you might say, why would I want to count the number of times that this person hasn't understood me or taken over or done something that's upset me? Well, the bottom line is consciously we don't really know how many times but the subconscious has stored every memory of every time that individual person has in some way let you down. And though you may say it's happened hundreds of times, it may be an exaggeration, to you it feels like a hundred times. And if you could actually recall every little itty bitty thing that that person has done under your category of not filling my spaces, my holes, helping me get rid of my stress and depression, then you probably find it thousands of times. But the truth is, no other person can fix us. We have to face our own horror stories that we create within our conscious mind. So going back to walking down that dark street. If you were to take a deep breath at the top of the street and look down the street, you would ask yourself from your psyche, does this feel the right way for me to go tonight? And if there's an instinctive no, then you go the main roadway, maybe the long way, but you will walk there in lights and feel safe and know that there are many cars going by that you could scream for help. Of course, the rational mind can push that idea away. For example, I'm late, I have to hurry, I need the short trip, I'll go down this dark road. Well, it's your choice. And if there is someone lying in wait and you were right, then you've ignored your psyche. You haven't listened to your spirit self which lies in the deep subconscious part of your brain right at the back and so no one's to blame if something happens to you because you've knowingly ignored your own warning and you've gone that way and you set yourself up to go through that experience knowing it will teach you something something incredibly useful in your future that you may use, for example, as a teacher, a coach, a counselor, or even a priest. Let me now talk about the inner sense of knowing. Sometimes we have, shall we say I'm just sitting still, not thinking about anything, having a moment of rest when my brain decides to switch off. I might even be a little bit sleepy. And as I close my eyes to just give myself a moment or two to be quiet, suddenly I hear a voice that says, Call Sally. 
Immediately I might say to myself, Sally, I haven't talked to Sally in years. I don't even know where she is. I wonder where she is. And then a while later, when I'm up and about, I go to my computer and there is an email from Sally. And Sally is saying, help, I need help. You see, in the oneness, our spirits are all connected. So when you think about yourself walking down that lonely pathway or walking into your office where all those people are, wondering if they'll give you any time of the day, what you're really saying is, I'm not connected emotionally to their spirits. I'm not aware of my need to know they are friends, not enemies. Now that brings me to the point of enemies. Yes, people do come into our lives and they are nasty to us. They want to pick our bones, as it were, and destroy our sense of self-esteem, self-worth and value. Now, if you meet someone like that, your defenses will be up and you will be psychically aware that they are a troublemaker. But if you're in your conscious mind, and you don't listen to your spirit, you will bite, you will be afraid, you will let them dominate you and lead you where they want you to go, and you'll end up somewhere where you don't want to be. I once met someone who was badgered by her boyfriend to get married. In her heart, her instinct told her he was not the right man, but he pressured her so much that she pushed that idea away and began to rationalize, well, he's talented, he's making an income, he will be able to buy us a house. This list went on. And as she sat there talking to me, I could see that she was in love with what he could give her materially. She was not in love with his spirit, with his soul. And I told her so. And she looked at me astonishedly and said, how did you know? And I said, the same way I can read your spirit, you can read his. If you're truthful to him and to yourself, you will decline the idea of marriage and maybe <clears throat> spend a little bit more time, you know, knowing him, discussing things, learning about him. And ultimately, if you can't find some bond on the spiritual level, then you'll both realize that you are not meant to be together. What followed was rationale about engagement rings and um, looking at houses and all these material things, and she felt that she would be letting him down if she said, no, I won't marry you. And I said to her, isn't it better that you hurt him a little now than hurt him a great deal when maybe a baby's arrived and you want a divorce? And she looked at me and she said, I had a dream that I was going to divorce him if I married him. So I said, see, your instinct was telling you that's your spirit coming into your dreams, telling you your truth. And I want all of you who are listening to realize that even those who say they can't remember dreams are doing this. You are processing from your deep subconscious through your subconscious into a dream state to awaken with a little bit of bits and pieces of that dream that your conscious mind <coughs> can rationalize and explain away to you while wide awake. She could see that she had both sides of the apple, as it were. She could see her spiritual self telling her that this was not the right arrangement or the right marriage, and she could see her everyday conscious self fighting that, resisting listening to the truth, while trying to convince herself that she was in reality really in love with this man. So I asked her to shut her eyes, and imagine this man is right in front of her and that he wants to kiss and hold her and hug her. 
and she began to cry. And I asked her, why are you crying? And she said, he doesn't hold me like the way I want to be held. He doesn't seem to kiss me in the way I love to be kissed. In fact, we're not very physical either, so I'm missing a lot. And I, I looked at her and I said, surely that's a sign, isn't it, that something's wrong? And she said, I know, I know. But, but, but. And I said to her, there are no buts. It is yes or no. There is no in between. Well, I'm happy to say that as a few more weeks of sitting with me and just letting herself talk away, she was able to hear her conversations out loud, speaking her thoughts. And as she heard herself speaking aloud her thoughts, she realized how she sounded and how aggressive she was about how this man should be in her life. And she realized there was no love. And without a hesitation, she just jumped up and said, I have to leave, I have to tell him the truth, and was out the door <laughs> before I could even stop her. Well, I didn't see her for a long time, and then out of the blue she called me, and she told me that she had ended that relationship, and soon afterwards she'd met this other gentleman who was perfect in every sense of the world, and her. In other words, they thought alike, they felt alike, but they had a different point of view on everything. And now she was asking me, how do I learn to see his point of view so that I can understand everything as though I'm inside him? <laughs> I said to her, you're not supposed to do that. What you're supposed to do is have conversations, share your emotions, and grow together. And as you do with trials and tribulations of life, you'll learn more and more about one another. And that is the meat that makes a marriage last. Well, over the years, I have to admit, I had to learn all this the hard way. Studying psychology and psychiatry is one thing, but putting it into practice is quite another. And in my early years, I married too young. I had two babies that I do not, I love dearly, and no regrets there. But I went on to marry a second man immediately, and two more children, and one more divorce, until I met Stephen Van Koops, my husband of 37 years, who recently passed. We weren't alike, but we were very interactive. He was a Pisces, I was a sun sign. And so we were uh, both in the sun sign, sorry, my sun sign was cancer. And we were both in the water energy from our sun sign's point of view. And we both had Gemini energy that allowed us to work together. And so my husband became my manager and organizer of my public work. Now I stand alone, but I'm not alone because I asked the oneness for a team and lo and behold, they turned up one by one in situations where I was focusing on something entirely different to find these people who are now working with me. And in time, we will be teaching online and doing sessions and all sorts of things. But this is not about pitching. This is about knowing that when you meet someone who is right to work with or to live with or to marry and so on, there are many relationships, but those are the ones that most focus on. But you have a relationship with your teacher. You have a relationship with your priest or padre or whatever they are. You have a relationship with your yoga teacher or your Zumba teacher. There are thousands of people that you have met throughout your life. And whether it's been a five or ten minute conversation or hours together or even years together, it has all come down to what have you learned by having these people in your life. Have these people helped you by the way they were, even if they were negative, 
to understand more about life, to have a greater sensory perception of yourself walking amongst many people, to understand that you are a biochemical human being who has plenty of water, 70%, the other 30% is your brain and your organs and the body that you see in the mirror. You know, everything that we are is not permanent. We're here for as long as we want to be here. If we're miserable, then we're likely to become ill. And over a long-term time of being miserable, we'll become sicker and sicker. With the COVID-19 virus now in our midst around the world, there are many people who are dying. And people say that this virus is a killer. But actually, there are quite a few people who have had it, overcome it, and are now healthy. It is not a killer. What is a killer is a bad digestive system. Most of the people who died had kidney issues, liver issues, spleen issues, stomach issues, bowel issues, and then heart issues. So what are we saying? Throughout their life, they may have stuffed their mouths with lots of food that was bad for them, just as comfort food, and the digestive system has gone out of whack. We don't think about what's going on biochemically in our bodies, but actually the food we eat is broken down from solids by all the enzymes that exist in the alimentary tract. So if you're eating the right foods and you're making sure that you have the right enzymes topped up every so often by taking the pills from the natural health stores that put the enzymes back in your digestive system, then it's going to kick in and be able to deal more efficiently with the food you eat. But if you're putting food that's been augmented, shall we say, changed, made to be more attractive in the pot or the carton. It looks enticing, but it's got lots of ad additives, if I can say the word. Those aren't meant to be in your body. Those upset your system. If you drink beer, you put too much yeast in your body, that will upset your system. If you take street drugs, of course you know what's happening there, everything goes haywire. So how can you expect to have a very positive attitude about yourself and the world if you're not feeding yourself correctly? When I look around at the Americans here, I see people who are approximately a hundred pounds overweight. That is a lot. And when I see someone who weighs 350 pounds, that's a death walk. Your poor heart is straining away to help you walk, to talk, to sit, to stand, Surely if you're listening to this, you now realize that your brain has been filled with so many little events in your life where you have been afraid, worried, anxious, where you have been jealous, angry, where you have been lonely, lost, and miserable, where you have been mentally and emotionally disturbed to think that everyone's against you, or where you have actually become mentally ill and have needed to be taken off drugs and helped to recover to find the real you. So why would you want 
to harm yourself so much? Why would so many thousands of peoples in this planet want to suffer so much? Well, the truth is, they are all examples of what not to do. And those of us who are aware are looking on them and saying, why don't they eat the right foods? Why don't they see they don't need to be miserable? I need to help them. Well, I'm guilty. <laughs> I've been helping a lot of people for so many years in my life. In fact, since I was born in truth. I was a child healer, an adult medium, and then a nurse, a doctor, and now a professor. And still, I'm helping people. But I don't carry them. I don't worry about them. I don't make them do what I want them to do. I don't expect them to rise to a certain level at my beck and call. I allow them to find their own way by suggesting, offering some kind of alternative way to think and feel about a situation. You know, we're all capable of that. A friend of mine said, I wish I was as psychic as you are. I would love to be a counsellor. And I immediately said to her, you are a counsellor. You are channeling. You don't have to know you're psychic. It is part of your consciousness. Well, a few days later, she was in a situation where a person needed counselling. And she said, it just poured out of my mouth. I just knew what to say. And that person took my advice and is working with it. And I felt so great. I want you to know that if you choose to come out of the darkness into the light, then you will find that you are inspired by your spirit guides, even if you do not know they're there, to impress you with something you're looking at and something you're listening to and maybe something that you feel deep inside that is like a calling to awaken to be different. When we know we want to be different, it's kind of scary. You know, people say, I can change in the blink of an eye. But the truth is, it takes a trauma or a great revelation for that to occur. And they do happen, and they're wonderful when they do. But either way, they're traumatic in the sense of change. We are all encoded with a soul structure coding that gives our DNA the programming that we need in order to survive in this world. Science has come a long way since I was first a nurse. Technology has made it easier to see inside the body through sound resonation and through x-rays where they use light and radium therapy. There's so much that has come forward from the days when I was born. And in another generation, there will be even more. One of the things I was enjoying on Star Trek was watching how the people, whoever they were, were you know, harmed in some way. And uh, they would just grow a new leg put on some equipment that stimulated all the cells to repeat and regrow their system. How would they do that? Well, the brain knows how to grow a baby. After all, when your egg, you, was fertilized by your father's sperm, and you were then activated in a connection to that sperm, and over, now becoming a zygote, sticking to your mother's womb. At that point, you're not in the body. Your spirit is not there. You are just saying, aha, my body is being prepared for me. And when the quickening comes at three months, 
That's when you would have joined and given your coding to the baby inside so that you could integrate the coding of your mother with your own. And once that is done, you will start to come into the body from time to time, rest with your mother, and absorb all your mother's nature, her fears, her anxieties, her worries, her greatness, her beliefs, her, f her joys and pleasures, all of it is absorbed into the cells of the baby as it grows. So when you pop out of your mother, you are a miniature mum. After all, you've got to have somewhere to start. And when that happens and mother holds you, then you are embraced by her aura. And that stimulates your aura to expand. It expands in unconditional love. Love for your mother, love for your father, and anyone else that is going to be a part of your life. Of course, at that age, you can't speak, but you can see, and babies can see auras because they're using their spirit consciousness inside that little body. And if someone holds a baby and the baby starts to cry, it's saying, I don't know you. I don't feel your energy as I felt it with my mom. Put me down. Let me be with my mother. We all want to feel safe, even when we're that young. So if you feel that you have been in a state of rejection about yourself, your family, your work colleagues, well, anyone really, then I have a book for you that is available on Amazon called The Rejection Syndrome by me, Dr. Margaret Rogers Van Coots. It tells you all about the soul coding and lots of stories some good, some bad, showing you the difference even between two people who have exactly the same soul coding. So why aren't they the same? Well, it's simple. Their point of view when looking is in one place and your point of view when you're looking at something in another place, the thing you're both looking at has a different angle from the view that you are both standing. So while one of you may notice how bright and colorful it is, the other may notice its shape and size. So when you get together later to discuss the item, one may be saying, I don't recall that shape, while the other is saying, I don't recall the colors. Are you going to argue over that or are you simply going to say, aha, I understand we have a different point of view. So let's compare and talk about our point of views as to whether we want that item or not. Agreement means you both have reasons where you've rationalized that you can use that item for the good of self and for the good of your partner. With a united front in working together with that item, you probably will achieve a great deal simply because you have bonded over this particular thing and are keen to make it work. Now, if we take the reverse of that and say that two people have seen something in the room and both looked at it and decided they neither want anything to do with it or would ever want to work with it, then of course the item becomes unimportant and is soon forgotten. But what if it really was important to your future, both of you, or one of you, and yet you can't agree at that moment on whether you should obtain it or not, so you leave it and walk away? Don't believe you'll forget it, because you won't. It'll pop into your head from time to time. And even though you may never go back and get that particular item, it may well be that that particular item has prepared you for a better one in the future where it will be more efficient than the original. Then you'll be glad you waited.
So you see, that is a rational consciousness that your mind is going through. But emotionally, you've been feeling the pieces don't fit together right now. But sometime later, I might want it. So I'll remember it. So you park that memory, that image, in the subconscious part of your brain. Now, all images are filed away in the subconscious in similarity. For example, if you saw a thousand child pushchairs, as I used to call them, or prams, um, today they're called strollers, then you will obviously have many stories to talk about the different ones you've seen, but ultimately the one you really like the best will not be forgotten. And when the time comes and you need to buy one, that will be on your mind to find something similar or exactly the same. Now when we're shopping for an item, you know, it doesn't answer back. It doesn't say anything. It just sits there while we use it. And that's fine until we get bored with it. Then we toss it out or sell it. But we can't do that with relationships, can we? So when we go shopping around, looking online for a date, how do we know that the person's picture is really that person? Or how do we know that that person is really working in the job they say and really likes to do all the things? Well, we don't, do we? They're just words on a page. However, if we're psychic, intuitive, we will know by the look of the person's image and the words the way they write that they don't click with us, that they don't feel right with us and we click away. We don't want to know that person. But if someone looks nice and appealing and has the right words, then we're pulled in, we're attracted. But we have caution, just like walking down that dark street we don't know this person. They could be an abuser. So caution pushes his head up in you to say, why are you doing this? Why are you looking for someone online when you could just as easily join the local groups and meet someone that way? Oh, I don't like driving at night. It's too dark and yet you'd get in the car and drive at night to a restaurant to meet a stranger? What's your rationale? Stop making excuses to stop yourself reaching out to places known where you'll feel safe. Going outside the box to meet someone you don't know in a strange place without company is foolish. In this fast-paced moving day of our lives, nothing is considered safe anymore. But if we go back maybe to 1200 AD, you probably would have said the same of coming outside the castle or going down to the local tavern. You would still be cautious, carrying a lantern, trying to be very aware with your ears alert, listening for twigs breaking a highwayman coming your way, or someone lurking to steal your purse and all your valuables, which aren't much. So things haven't changed much, have they? We're still human. We still rely on our five senses. So I've talked about sensory perception, where you feel something ill at ease in your body, we call that psychometry. And I've talked about vision, where you can home in on something or see images with your eyes shut. And that's called clairvoyance. And I've talked about hearing voices in your head, maybe your own voice talking to yourself, or it could be the voice of your mother, grandmother, or someone you don't know. That is clear audience. And if you are now thinking about things you want to eat, smell, 
and taste, we need to be a little bit like a dog for the minute. Smelling something stimulates the digestive system. Remember I was talking earlier about the digestive system? When you see that food and it looks really beautiful to eat, does it really mean it's that tasty? And if it is that tasty, does your spirit self say, yeah, but there's something else in it that's not good? You see, an animal will sniff, maybe lick a little, and walk away from food that is contaminated in some way. We are no different. Here's a little example of something that happened to me in Japan. I'd been teaching and it was late at night, about 10 o'clock, and we were on our way home and both I and my interpreter were starving. So it was a holiday weekend, so we were looking for a cafe that was open and we found a little Japanese mummy and dada, pop, popper, how they say it over there, mum and popper uh, sh cafe shop. And we went in there and as I went in, I felt this was not a good place to eat. And my friend and I stood there discussing it for a moment and she said the same, she had the same feeling. Um, but there was nowhere else to eat and we were starving so we ignored our feeling and went in and sat down and ate Japanese food. Well an hour later while I was home, I threw up. I'd eaten poison. Something in that food was not right. It was off. I'm sure because it was a long weekend holiday, maybe the refrigerator was over full or maybe they left the food out for a while, we'll never know. I asked my interpreter if she was sick and she said, no, I just felt so tired and dizzy. So you see even there, our bodies acted differently to what we'd eaten. So there's no rule or regulation as to what you should or should not eat. It's up to you to use your sensory perception to look at the food, to smell the food, to feel the food, and to even, if necessary, listen. After all, some food turns up sizzling and crackling and others popping and boiling in hot water, depending the country you're in. There are sounds with food. And if you're bringing all those five senses together, smell and taste, touch, seeing, hearing, then you are going to know if that is good for you or not because your psyche will tell you. A very long time ago too when my, uh, my second marriage uh, there was a bug going around for the alimentary tract, the digestive system <coughs> and everyone caught it in England. Everyone was throwing up okay, and visiting the potty at the same time. Hard time for everyone. And I was at home in Japan teaching, so I wasn't affected. But I was able to tell the people back home what to do to eat the right kinds of herbs, to kill off the bug, to make sure they had chicken broth soup with parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme in it. It's one of the old-fashioned recipes that has been passed down from ancient Roman times. It is a known fact that these four herbs combined with chicken grease will line the system and kill off all the bugs and bring you back to normal. Now they didn't always just use those herbs. Sometimes they put some other ones in, depending on what else was wrong. I will remind you that this earth in its own way is paradise for us. And as that, we must think about the fact that God the Creator made this place with everything we need. And we've gotten greedy. We want more and more and more. And by chopping down trees, killing off the natural growing herbs and plants that would heal us, making them instead manufactured by elements 
in a laboratory is not the same. We need to eat natural foods. We're meat eaters, yes, but we don't need animals that have been hit with loads of antibiotics and more grain than their stomachs can hold. We need animals that can run free, uh, that can enjoy their life for as long as they have it. And like the Native Americans say, and the Indians in India, and the Australian uh, people, um, there's too many to mention the tribal people, in other words, know that one must honor the life of the animal that you have killed to eat, and to use every part of it, its feathers for making a pillow, its skin for making a coat, its fibers for making sewing material, and so on. We've come a long way from being nomadic, living off the land. Now we are scientists. We all know so much about science, so we think. But in truth, we know very little. I will say here that our next, um, I, w I want to say that our next fuel will be sonic sound. And that sound will be trapped and reverberated and resonated and echoed in certain ways to create light. And that light will give us heat and give us power and we will be a different kind of human yet again. So here I am, coming to the end of my little talk. I hope that you have enjoyed everything that I've said and will give some thought to your own life and to your relationships and to the value of everyone who comes into your life, even if they are miserable and horrible. Because somewhere in there, you are growing because of them. And as a person evolving, you will be a better person to everyone else that you meet. If you'd like to learn more from me, we will soon have easypeasysolutions.org up. And if you'd like to study with me, you can go to that website and leave your name, email, your phone number, if you'd like to, so that I can contact you, um, your interesting subjects you'd like to study. For example, you may be interested in hypnosis, or you may be more into meditation, or perhaps you're into crafts and arts and music, just to start with your creative self. And then we can go into more important issues. We will start the program with looking at the different types of relationships, some of which I've talked about in my radio show here today. Please do share Journey into an Unknown World with your friends. I've been doing this for mm, 10 years. <laughs> so my earlier shows are half an hour, and now I'm doing an hour once a week. So if you'd like to go to Journey into an Unknown World on um, iTunes, you can download the free podcasts there and uh, listen to me at home when you're in bed or something like that. But please do not listen to me while driving. My voice can be hypnotic. If you'd like to write to me, then I'm open to receiving letters, Professor P-R-O-F Margaret, M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T, R-V-C, for my initials, for my last three names, at gmail.com. I'll say that again, Professor Margaret, R-V-C, at gmail.com. I'll remind you yet again, go to easypeasysolutions.org and let us know what you're interested in so that we can form some classes around your topic. Um, in the future, there will be only free classes for a while, just so people know that we're there and the kind of works that we do. And as I said, we're beginning with relationships. But as time passes, we will be asking people to become members for a nominal fee. No, I'm not here to make a fortune. I'm here to teach you.
So on that note, I'd like to say, if you'd like to listen to my videos, find me on YouTube, uh, forward slash user, forward slash Dr. Margaret, and uh, listen to what I have said there. So please enjoy all the lessons I've made available for you all, and have a wonderful life. Bye for now.